dear listeners of the show talking with frankie today we will do something very special as we begin a series of episodes on the topic vatican II. and i'm glad to receive dr margaret larvin author of the amazing book vatican II: 50 years of evolution and revolution in the catholic church dr margaret larvin will provide us with an introduction of some key elements so that we can better understand the other episode that will follow. Dr. Margaret Lavin is Professor Emerita at Regis College, Toronto. She earned a PhD in Systematic Theology from the Faculty of Theology at the University of St. Michael's College, Toronto. She also received a Master of Religious Education from the same institution. Dr. Margaret Lavin, it is really a pleasure having you and talking with Frankie today. How are you? I'm very well, Frankie. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. So nice having you in talking with Frankie today. It's a pleasure to be here and a blessing to be here. Right. Can you give us some introductory comments? So the announcement to convene the Second Vatican Council actually shocked the Roman Catholic world, one might even say to its core. Right. On January 25th, 1959, Within three months of his election to the pontificate, uh, Pope John XXIII, now Saint Pope John XXIII, announced his intentions to call an ecumenical council to bring about the renewal and reform of all aspects of church life. Now, not everyone in the church approved of this decision because it was quite a radical one. Right. Because we had a church that was steeped in tradition And it meant bringing about change. And for many people, the church was perfect the way it was. So why change it? But um, what Vatican II did was it, it urged Catholics to think differently about their church, about themselves, about how they live their faith and how they witness their faith in the world. Now, there were no new dogmas promulgated at Vatican II. There was no new doctrine. It was just how does the church present itself in the world? Right. And so all of the documents of Vatican II deal in one way or another with the church. And Lumen Gentium, which is the dogmatic constitution on the church, reiterates uh, with the supreme authority of an ecumenical council how the church understands this inner structure. In other words, who are we as church? And the document begins by putting the church in its rightful place. And I I quote from the document, Christ is the light of all nations. So Christ is the center of the church and the church's beginnings and continuance are in Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, The other document that deals specifically with the church is Gaudium et Spes. And this uh, was how do we, how does the church present itself to the world? So the first document, who are we as church in ourselves? The other document, Gaudium et Spes, or the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, uh, looks at how the church presents itself. And there's that very famous um, saying that I'm sure many people have heard called the signs of the times. Right. And it urges the church to survey the signs of the times 
and challenges the church to face the modern world. So we're not just for ourselves, we, we uh, witness to the world. And this was a time, 1959 was um, about 14 years after the end of the, uh, the Second World War. And the church knew it could no longer ignore what was going on in the world around it and what was happening to the world's citizens, especially in the wake of two world wars and the horrors of the Holocaust and the fears of a Cold War. So this is the historical context of Vatican II. Uh, this is just this is the beginning. I'm okay. just I'm just leading up. So this was the, the context. Okay. Uh, the introductory uh, aspects. Okay. And um, one of the major elements uh, as an introductory uh, comment was that um, the church realized it had to dialogue with the world. So that was another major element um, of understanding um, the the the, uh, the council itself. Right. And by way of introduction also, I'm not going to go through all of the documents, but it dealt with um, the liturgy. It dealt with the church. It dealt with um, religious life. It dealt with the, the laity. So it dealt with every single aspect of the church itself. Okay, so, so let's just... Margaret, what was Vatican II in a short way? In uh, Vatican II was the 21st ecumenical or general council of the Catholic church. Right. So during the fall months of 1962 to 1965, um, and I note during the fall months, because you couldn't have bishops and cardinals away from their archdiocese for three years. So it was done in three month period over a period of three years. And at the time, 2,600 bishops, theologians, and observers gathered in St. Peter's Basilica to debate the future of Catholicism. It was provided, uh, sorry, presided over by two popes, Pope John XXIII, who convened the council and governed its proceedings um, from its opening in October the 11th, 1962, until his death in June the 3rd, 1963 at okay. which time Pope John VI governed its proceedings um, after Pope John XXIII's death until the closing of the council in December 8, 1965. Now, again, John XXIII was the convener and, inter and um, inspiration and driving force behind Vatican II. And I think it's worthwhile saying just a little bit about him because he Right. He was born Angelo Giuseppe Roncalli in 1881, and he became Pope in 1958. But the special gifts that um, John XXIII brought to this was that he had been a, a papal diplomat for 25 years in Bulgaria, Turkey, and France, and he was also six months as the Patriarch of Venice. So he had a lot of, if you will, diplomatic experience to bring to how does the church relate to the world? Because he was working in, um, in, in, in places outside the Vatican and, and in one case, um, outside Europe itself. Now also, unlike previous councils, which usually were convened to, con to condemn errors and were written in a very legalistic way, Vatican II was a pastoral council. Right. And 
it, it would express traditional Catholic doctrine in a new way, but not any new doctrine itself. And so the style was quite different. And the style finds its expression in two words that captivate, I think, the motivation behind John 23rd's intention to both update the church, but to maintain the tradition. Now, that might seem like a contradiction in terms. How right. do you <laughs> update something by maintaining the tradition? And keeping the tradition, right. Yeah, and, and, and I think this is a very important point about the council. It, it had no intention of changing the tradition of the church. And so two words were used to describe this. And um, the first one is an Italian word called aggiornamento, which means updating or modernizing. And in his opening speech, John XXIII talked about a new era that was dawning in the church. And he even talked about a new Pentecost. For the church, um, its mission in the world was by responding positively to the world's challenges. Now, resourcement means a return to the sources. This is like a, a French word, right? It is. It's a French word, resourcement, which it's means so a return small. to the sources with a view to making changes that retrieve a more traditional past. Right. So it looks to the past for norms and practices that somehow change or correct the direction of current developments. Now, this always reminded me of the great prophets. And the great prophets would say to the people, um, if you want to be true to living your faith today, then go back and remind ourselves of who we are as God's people. And so in that sense, I see a very prophetic understanding of what Vatican II was. Right. In this sense, Dr. Margaret, what was the historical context of, of Vatican II? Oh, the historical context was actually quite, I, I've mentioned the two world wars. I've mentioned the Holocaust or what the Jewish people call the Shoah. Right. We also have the birth of the atomic age and the Cold War. And many people at the time were absolutely terrified um, about the prospect of a nuclear war. So there were many divisions in the church, socially, politically, and uh, religiously. And the church felt that it couldn't ignore this broken world. And actually, when you think about this and towards at the very end, we might say, um, what are the signs of the times today in our broken world with what we are facing? Right. So there was lots of socio-political challenges that uh, the world was facing. And perhaps one of the most important um, examples of this historical uh, reality for the church was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I want to mention this as an example because Pope John XXIII personally intervened to help this crisis. And it's sometimes called the Bay of Pigs. And what had happened was that um, the Cuban and Soviet governments collaborated to build nuclear missile bases in Cuba so that if the US uh, were to attack uh, Cuba, then there would be uh, missiles right there that's a very, very short distance from uh, geographically from the United States. Now, the US responded to this by demanding that the Soviets dismantle the bases and also called for a quarantine of Cuba. 
Now, the Soviet premier at the time, Nikita Khrushchev, wrote a letter to the US President John Kennedy stating that the demands constituted an act of aggression that would lead to a nuclear missile war. So it was a very, very tense moment. Now, Pope John XXIII intervened by giving on October the 25th, he, um, he had an unscheduled broadcast to all people of goodwill. And so not just the Catholic faithful, but to people of the world. Right. And it actually got coverage in um, Pravda, which was the US, the, sorry, the, uh, the uh, Russian newspaper. And they urged, and I quote from Pravda, to agree to negotiate at any level and at any location to be well inclined to these negotiations and to commence them. And this would be a sign of wisdom and cautiousness that we'd be blessed by heaven and earth. Now that came from a communist newspaper. And, but here they were saying, what we see in John 23rd is a sign of wisdom, cautiousness, that would be blessed by heaven and earth. So he directly intervened to help to ease that crisis. And actually, it was shortly after that that he wrote his encyclical Pachamanteris, which means peace in the world. Right. But a last little anecdote to that was that um, when he died on June the 3rd, uh, a mere two months after the promulgation of the encyclical, Soviet ships in Genoa, in Genoa Harbor, flew their flags at half masts because good Pope John had made his impact on the communist world. So historically, here we see the church reaching out uh, to the world through reaching out to um, the communist world as well. So I, I think right. that was a major, right. major element. And what was the theological context of Vatican to Dr. Margaret? Well, the theological context, um, By engaging the historical context of which the church is a part, Vatican II took it for granted that Catholicism must be adapted to the modern world. And right. this view required a theology that would be able to complement this historical experience. So it had to be a th theology that was in line with um, what was happening in the world. Now, I'm not going to go into full detail, but... Right. Often, yeah. <laughs> we could have of, like. Yeah, we could discussion. have lots of conversations. Exactly. But at this point, the church was not open to enlightenment views, the views of the French Revolution, the views of modernism, and it it kind of separated faith and reason. You know, the faith um, is what is important. We don't need to go into a lot of detail, but. Having said that, um, and we'll speak a little bit later about St. John Paul II, but he wrote a, a document, an encyclical called Faith and Reason, where he says it's very important that we bring our understanding of reason into how we understand our faith. Right. And um, he said in that, that just as grace builds on nature and brings it to fulfillment, so faith builds upon and perfects reason. He also said that um, faith and reason were ultimately endorsed 
by the theological perspectives of Vatican II by stating that the most influential Catholic theologians of the present century, uh, to those whose thinking and research, the Second Vatican Council was very much indebted. And many, much of it was a product of a revival of St. Thomas Aquinas. So there's also another element that um, became a, a catchword and it was that, that was called La Nouvelle Theologie, which was a French movement. Yeah, La Nouvelle Theologie, right. Uh, you know, wanted to um, up the, it had theologians like um, Henri de Lubac, Yves Congar, mm -hmm. and the Swiss theologian Hans, <clears throat> pardon me, Hans, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Right. Um, so these were influences and, and also a balanced and, and reinterpretation of St. Thomas Aquinas. So very, very much grounded in sound traditional Catholic theology. Yeah, and what were some of the consequences of the reception of Vatican II? Well, it's, it was mixed, and I think it still is mixed, and I think we have to... Uh, to accept that, I'm not just saying, but it, that, that, that some people say the church went too far, some say it didn't go far enough, some say it was great the way it was, but just to put that in a deeper, deeper context. Mm -hmm. The divisions of, the, sorry, the decisions of Vatican II had a dramatic impact on the lives of ordinary believers, especially changes in liturgical life, sacramental rites, church structure, the role of the laity, the role of religious leaders, the training of priests, praying with other Christians, and dialogue with other world religions and an openness to the world. And I'm glad to say in the following episodes, we will be talking about all those topics, about ecclesiology, laity, and the formation of priests and all those important Excellent. aspects. And so you'll go into it in more deeper detail. Yep. That. Mm -hmm. But as you can see, they, these were decisions that affect the person right in the pew. I mean, especially the vernacular, you know, where the liturgy was changed from uh, um, uh, Latin to the, uh, the, the, uh, the language of the people. For example, as a Haitian, I, I can have mass in Creole now, in Haitian Creole. And then, yeah. Yep. yeah. And um, so that was a shock for a lot of people. They, you know, you, and then all of a sudden the language was changed. But um, <clears throat> I personally think it's good for me to hear and to be able to celebrate the liturgy in my own language. Right, so, this is very and important. I think so. Yeah. So um, how then do Catholics implement the teachings of Vatican II with fidelity? I think a minimal level of fidelity must include the vision of the council itself, which was openness and dialogue and the genuine spirit of Christian charity and generosity with which the council reached out to the world. So when discerning faithful reception, some key questions need to be asked. Does this way of receiving the council involve one being led by the Holy Spirit and Christ? Does it help us to worship better? Is it being illuminated and supported by prayer for reflection on scripture? And does it lead to a more generous service of the needy? So I think we have to, it's just, just looking at the content, but how do we receive it? And is it going right. to help us to be better Catholics in the world? Right. Okay. And Dr. Margaret, do you have any concluding comments? 
Well, as I said earlier, Vatican II forced Catholics to think differently about their church, themselves, and how they live their faith. Right. The documents that produced are the most important documents in 400 years and the church's latest articulation of its tradition. They shape every aspect of church life. Now, it's now 60 years since Vatican II began, and its teachings are still being interpreted. Like I was telling a friend the other day that I was going to do this for you. And she said, Meg, well, do you think we need a Vatican III? And I said, well, we haven't really implemented Vatican II yet. So I don't think it's time to move on to a Vatican III. His vision was to renew the church, engage it with the world, heal divisions with Christianity, dialogue with other believers, and reach out to the peoples of the world in a spirit of justice and peace. And so to conclude, in these approaches, the council acknowledged that, and this is a quote from one of the documents, a continued reformation to which the church calls his church, uh, sorry, which Christ calls his church. Right. And John Paul II, St. John Paul II quoted, and um, he said, for a long time to come, it will be granted to new generations to draw on the riches this council of the 20th century has blessed us with. And so my concluding comment is asking yourselves, what are the signs of the times today um, as we are, that we are called to respond to? And there are many, and even in different geographical areas of the world, we might be faced with different, whether it's poverty, social people, whatever. I mean, we have to look at our world and answer that question. But I'd like to finish with a a quote from St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. He said, quote, to live our life, we are called to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Thank you so much, Dr. Margaret Lavin, for accepting my invitation. The next episode will be focused on ecclesiology, and I'm happy to say that Dr. Josephine Lombardi will be the guest for the next episode. So we'll continue with the episode on Vatican II. So please stay tuned by subscribing on Talking Frankie, on Spotify, iTunes Music, SaturnNight.org, and our Facebook page, Talking Frankie. Many blessings. Bye-bye.